TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me tonight, well, first, he's the miracle whip of men. It's Dan. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Good, good. I'm having a good uh, good evening here. Good morning here. Good morning, Scott. Yes, we are beginning our recording at midnight, uh, just a couple hours after the latest Better Call Saul has aired. And speaking of which, let's get to the rest of our co-hosts this evening. I'd like to think she wouldn't pick vanilla or strawberry, but ugh, she's from the Midwest, so she'd probably pick some lame choice like cookies and cream or something. Anyway, it's Jamie. Hey, Jamie. How you doing? <laughs> hey. Yep. 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 <laughs> What's, She's what's the right choice? If vanilla and strawberry are bad. What's the what's the wrong choice? An, an interesting flavor. The right, what's the right choice? Oh no no no! You're not gonna oh. ca- you're not gonna catch me in that one because <laughs> I know anything I pick, you'll automatically jump on. So I'll just tell you what's not the right choice. You, it's up to you to find the right choice. It's like if you find it's like if okay. you're looking for the Holy Grail. I'm not gonna tell you which is the right cup. But I'm gonna tell you your cup is wrong. Oh, that's actually not bad, Brian. Oh, I didn't introduce you yet. Okay, let's pick. Let's introduce you first. Uh, yeah, he's never one to shy away from giving legal advice to some cigarette rubbing skell. <laughs> Brian, hey Brian. Hi, gang. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a way to reference the whole age gap thing, but then I realized when he was playing Jesse, who's actually already in his late twenties at that point anyway, so it was kind of pointless. So we are here to discuss the penultimate. I love saying that word. Penultimate episode of Better Call Saul, which was titled Waterworks, which once we heard that title, we were like, gee, I wonder if there's going to be a scene that's going to be like big on crying, either in the show or for those of us watching the show. Uh, this episode was, as we, as I said last week, written and directed by Vince Gilligan. So if we didn't already know it was the penultimate episode, we knew it was going to be a good one because, well, number one, it's Better Call Saul. Number two, Vince Gilligan is the guy behind it. Um... It kind of, without, before we get into the, the overall breakdown, the scene by scene and so and so, it kind of was sort of what we were talking about last week. It was, you know, it wasn't an all Kim episode, but it was a very Kim centric episode. Um, it was mo, I'd say it was majority Kim. We certainly, but we did toggle back and forth between her and the Gene storyline, which I think we, we talked about towards the end of the podcast as, uh, anticipating that's what they were going to do. Um, so, before we plunge into this, because this is a show and this is a, the Vince verse is known for their penultimate episodes and whatnot. Um, were, were we, was anyone genuinely surprised by anything that happened in this episode and whether it be good or bad? Or I'm, I'm just curious before we go any further. If anyone has anything? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I was necessarily um, surprised. I. I. I mean, they, they're they're always so honest. You know, they're so honest with their characters. So it's not like anything is shocking. Like you didn't see it coming. Um, I. I do. I do say though that I was surprised to see that Seahorn could um, successfully pull off Frumpy. <laughs> I, I I didn't think she could. She's she's 
she's just naturally quite elegant. So um, bangs are not, I guess bangs are not her jam. I wasn't surprised by anything, but David Gott did text me and say that he didn't really understand why people in Florida would be having a conversation about Mayo or Miracle Whip, because as long as it's white, they're okay with it. So I'm not really sure. Uh, <laughs> really? We, really we're, we're, we're barely four minutes in the episode. <laughs> uh. I, I think the only thing that uh, surprised me was I didn't think we'd see Kim in the Saul timeline. And I like that we have sort of the semi book ended scene in Saul's office with Kim. I, I did not expect to see that. Uh, and thought that was, that was necessary uh, to set up her disconnect with him in the, you know, towards the end of this, that, that he was already gone by the time she left. So. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. That on one hand, I know it was said by somebody on this podcast, of, but the possibility of Kim meeting Jesse, and that did happen, but it wasn't later Jesse; it was before Jesse. Um, but um, but we'll get there as we go through the episode. I actually enjoyed that scene. So, but we start at the beginning. We start in Saul's office, and he's doing that bouncing ball like the Great Escape thing, which we've seen him do before <laughs> on the show, if I recall. Um, I, I, I love the column falling <laughs> and not because it's some lame ass foreshadowing. Yeah. It's just the comic nature of just the realization. Oh yeah. Don't forget those things probably weigh like a pound each or something. <laughs> they probably made a style. Yeah, it was they, pretty were, they remind me of, uh, we had these years ago uh in the family portrait studio we had these like shorter versions of the same things that we would use for props and they weighed like you know two pounds each right, right. so when it fell i knew exactly what it felt like <laughs> when it fell but question um has anyone gone back to see if there is a dent in one of them in uh in our breaking breaking bad world because now there's a pretty substantial dent once it fell into the desk if you're asking in, in the hour in, in the hour and fifteen minutes since the episode <laughs> aired, you, did I go back you. to the, the entire season? <laughs> Five seasons of Breaking Bad. No, the other, the others, the other people oh. on the universe who right. are listening. Because that's because that's the way that question sounded. Like it was directed to the listeners. <laughs> no, she was asking the Tailies if if what's been up with them since the plane crash. So <laughs> yeah, what's that? that was. Was that the Coca Bola desk? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That was what I was wondering. <laughs> Again, just fucking watch the episode. Anyway, so he's clearly going over the divorce papers, and we realize when he's been talking to Francesca on the phone, and finally when he says send her in, we all know who that's going to be. So yes, that's where we get the, Ooh, we're going to get to see Kim in the Saul storyline. Um, we're just going to have to wait through a big chunk of the episode before we get back here. Um, we again got that little, uh, quickie ghost images in the VCR breaking down opening there. I was trying to figure out what they were initially, but they look like the picture, their images of Kim showing up at the airport, if I'm not mistaken. And when we come back, we are in the land of black and white once again. But instead, it's not from the Gene perspective. Yes, we are with Kim 
in the Twilight Zone world there. And it is like the Twilight Zone because she's got dark hair. She's got a wig. <laughs> she's cutting up a potato. And that's where you get this little debate with someone who we initially might think is her husband, but then we learn a few scenes later, we figure out that it's some sort of boyfriend or something. But they have a debate as to whether or not Miracle Whip is mayonnaise or not. Uh, so, and I and I kept thinking that I was like, okay, how many br- how many like small brains are exploding? We're like, it's the last two episodes of the show, and you're spending time debating about mayonnaise. I just I kept I was I wanted to go on Twitter to find one moron saying that. Um, we later see there's like a, some sort of like little poolside party, and she's with. Uh, She's with a gaggle of women who are the kind of women who would have a debate over whether Miracle Whip is mayonnaise or not. <laughs> and I was going, oh, I think, and I, and I, I think as we watch the rest of this play out, you know, between the, 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 the almost shoved off, almost completely off screen, but not quite sex scene, just accentuated by yeps. And right down to the fact she's putting together a jigsaw puzzle, which, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a single color. It's like a blank. Is it? Was it I think it's like essentially like a blank jigsaw puzzle. Um, which I feel is like okay, you couldn't get more of a metaphor for what her life is. And then the thing that occurs to me now, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Is well, there's one thing that she and Jean kind of sort of have in common. The utter banality, banality, however you pronounce the word, of what their lives are now. And of course, I would expect that living in either Nebraska or Florida, but it's, it's just, it's interesting, <laughs> it, it's interesting to see. Um, although at least, um, with her, she seems to, the, her act, she's become more assimilated and is pulling it off better than he is as Gene, at least initially, because he seems a bit more morose about everything. Um, so as far as this entire Kim sequence, it goes right up until, and, and again, we've got stuff we can talk about as far as her in her office and everything else, but I, I wanted to kind of bounce it to you guys for a little bit here. Um, I'm, because he's still wearing sunglasses, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Brian first, and then we can bounce around to the other two folks here. Um, I, I thought that her, uh, muted performance, um, of being very internal and not very external was so not Kim that it was striking, uh, that, that everything was calm that I I sort of felt almost like she had sentenced herself to this, like, like that she was accepting this life as her punishment, um, and there wasn't there there are interesting comparisons to her and Jean, like even that there's talk of Florida State football and you know, Jean's talking about Cornhusker football in Nebraska and so they paint some interesting similarities between them and their lives. Um but obviously she's not uh she's not started to break out of that. I think she's accepted her prison where he's trying to break out of his. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the big differences is that she she went towards that life, like she walked to that life. Um and I think that 
Saul thought he was forced, you know, he felt like he was forced into the life he's in. Um, I do like that through all this monotony that we're seeing in her life, like the most exciting conversation she had was the debate about the Mayo and then the whatever happened to crack conversation (laughs) that she got to have with the ladies at lunch. Um, I just think about somebody who is, uh, you know, it has, has the type of mind that Kim has and what, just what kind of like, I don't know. I just, I can't imagine being in that life and that being the highlight conversation of your day, being a stimulating, like happy place. But like you said, it's like, she's set herself up into it and it's almost like she's, it's her punishment, you know, like she just is accepting of this life. Like it's her punishment for what she's done. Daniel. Yeah. There's really not too much more to the, the our, our sterling co-hosts have, uh, covered it pretty well but you know definitely interesting to see her just completely checked out and i'm like that just kind of going through the motions and it's a you know a, a far cry from uh, how engaged we've seen her pretty much all the time uh fairly you know even in the last uh, time we saw her when you know they had to like do their like faking it for a day i mean we're just used to her like going 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 and here is just like you know whatever so it happens okay. it happens to the best of us kim wexler all right, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in maybe slightly differently here then. Um, what I thought, uh, either I'm comparing her to what Jean is going through, and yes, this is something she chose. She's forcing herself to pay penance. This is her choice, whereas he felt it was foisted upon him because he had he didn't have a choice. She chose this, so there is that, um, which also, to my mind, brings a slight sense of martyrdom to what she's doing as well. And I don't, and I don't mean to sound negative, Kim, that's not my intention here. She, but she, she, I mean, she's beating her. This episode is a lot of it is her beating herself up pretty badly. The fact that now it's interesting. She, she goes to Florida and she, she gets this job. Now, unlike what Saul, Jimmy, now Jean is doing, she's at least doing something that, to certain degrees here and there incorporates some of what she can do. Um, although it's dumbed down considerably from the legal profession, such as her, like, you know, she's gone from writing briefs to writing product descriptions, but she's, Hey, she's still writing, you know, she's doing, she's doing research, but it's not on, you know, getting people off, you know, you know, criminal charges. It's, you know, she's in the factory working, talking to guys and figuring out all the different parts, but she knows her thing. And she doesn't seem sad about that specific part of her life the way Jean does just watching the dough mix in a Cinnabon. However, the fact that she does also take it to the extreme where, let's be honest, the Kim that we've known up until this black and white version um, would not be with a guy like the guy she's with. And that's the part for me that felt kind of disquieting or disturbing about the situation. Um, yes, you can say, unlike Jean, she's not choosing to be alone. She is cho- choosing to be sociable. So she's got that. Although she's also still using her name. She's not in hiding beyond the fact she changed her hair. She's still Kim Wexler. He's in hiding. Mm-hmm. He's, he's had to change everything. So he's not up until he starts to, be, to become, 
get become Saul and, he's, and hookers start popping up, we're pretty sure he's not like been intimate with anybody at, for all this time. Whereas she now has a relationship. I just, but based on the guy we see, it reminds me. It's one of those things like, okay, I saw what it was like to be with someone who I felt I was on par with, you know, intelligence wise. So I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick this bumpkin instead. That's just the kind of the way it felt yeah. to me. But I will say she definitely has some sort of um, thing for that hairline. <laughs> she, she she went right for the same hairline, man. He might not be as clever uh, or as fun, uh, but yeah, he's he's got the hairline oh, going. A, but a, there a, might be some sort of um, there might be some sort of safety too. You know, she's going for like quiet, safe, non concerning. Oh. God, she's you know, having sex with a guy this, who just keeps saying, yep, come on. It's yeah, th- This is yep, a version of penance. Boring life. This is penance. This, yeah. this is her... T- I, oh, oh, I, are we an R-rated, are we an R-rated podcast? Can I say? I, this is her taking it up. Anyway. I 100% <laughs> agree that it's penance. But she's going to that life of safety and monotony right. and so on. Like, that's definitely not uh, what she was jamming you know, the whole first half of this season. Oh, I understand. And, and again, I, I, my thing is just, I just want to make it, at least in my opinion, I, mean, I show his frame, in my opinion, uh, you know, good wife nod over there. Um, although Saul is forced to have this life and she chooses to have this life, I don't want, in my mind, it's like, am I making her more noble as a result of that? And I don't want to do that. She does do something later in this episode to achieve that. But up until this point, I, I would, I would be kind of mm, to that impression of it. I, I was like, okay, let, let's let's stop putting Kim on this pedestal. I don't know if she really merits that until she does do the right thing. Although she doesn't do yeah. the right thing yeah. until that call from Jean, which pretty much is what. It's kind of it's interesting how the call, how that phone conversation spurs their actions in, in very different directions, and in in, in in very extreme different directions at that. Since I just mentioned, it, we should probably get to that call because that's that's kind of one of the crux things and one of the main major things that we were waiting for this episode was we get the phone conversation when we hear that Victor Saint Clair is on the line. <laughs> And I love the text where we see it all the way in the background and, you know, the blinds are being drawn. And there's a, for that split second, like, oh, don't you dare. Don't you dare keep us from that conversation, you son of a bitch. But then we get the conversation. And we see at a certain point, I'm not gonna, everyone who's listening to this has already seen the episode. So I'm not going to go through an entire transcription of the goddamn conversation. But you can see the points where, you see the point where Gene loses it. And what, what they're saying to each other. I love, however, I, I do love the fact that even after all this time, it's been, you know, I think he said it's been like six years when he mentions a thing about, you know, Fring in the ground, Mike in the ground, Lalo in the ground, apparently. It's still Lalo. He's still not completely sure about. Meanwhile, I kept thinking, I don't know, shouldn't Mike be the one you're really not that sure about? Because that's when you're just going on assumption more than anything else. No. <laughs> But it's it's that conversation which is what triggers what happened, what Kim does from that point on, and and sends her back to Albuquerque. Um, 
So my question to you guys, and then we can we can talk about all the Albuquerque stuff, and I know there's little fun things we noticed there, but I'll, I'll let you guys bring them up first if you like. Um, do we feel, or do you, or do you think that what she does is enough to redeem her after what had happened, especially in the first half of the season? Um, start with you before, so I got to start with someone else. Well, Dan, you're moving around the most, and I, I hate if I leave you last, they'll, they'll take all the words from you. So I'll let you start off this one. Plus, you're looking good with the hair tonight. So yeah, well, I, I'm eating these uh, these cheese it puffy uh, white cheddar things and drinking a lot. So yeah, I'm flopping around like a fucking fish a fish out of water, which is basically how I will w- uh, move through life. But um, um, I don't know. It's 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 you know it's been a very you know. I guess we you know, we really have to identify what our motivations are for going back. I mean, uh, clearly something in this conversation. I guess just the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, the way that Gene, Saul, Jimmy, whoever is acting in this phone call triggered her to come back. So, I mean, so she's going back and doing the right thing. But as to what her, you know, exact motivations are, I haven't quite uh, figured it out yet. So I can't really speak to as to whether or not that, you know, I mean, she's she's clearly taking some steps to do whatever. And, uh, you know, the fact that she's setting the record straight with uh, Howard's completely unsympathetic uh, ex-wife, unsympathetic as a character. I just, you know, for whatever reason, they've made <laughs> this character be completely unlikable at all times and. I'm not so sure if that's, I mean, it's what they did on purpose, I guess, but I think it might, you know, I guess it's just a different kind of show. It's not what you'd expect and stuff, and I just don't really give a shit if this character that I've never liked in any of the three scenes she's been in uh, is happy or not. But, Scott? I'm just going to step in just on that little point, then I'll throw it to the other two for the the bigger points I know they want to talk about. I, I think the reason why they depict Cheryl Howard's widow that way it's to me. It's almost indicative of the entire Vince verse, where we're presented with characters that at a certain point. Now with her, it's what right off the bat when we meet her. Usually, it's someone we get to that point where we get to the point where I don't know if I should feel sympathy for this character, despite the fact there may be some tragedy going on in their life. Because for for whatever the reasons are, we find them uh, unsympathetic, unlikable, whatever. I think I do agree. I think, and I think it's obviously, duh, it's written that way. It's a, it's a deliberate decision, but I think it also, it, it helps to challenge the viewer that much more as opposed to if they just made her your typical weeping widow, blah, 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 you know, but then you wouldn't have had the sadness that was going on in Howard's life to begin with, you know, with his, his marriage falling apart and, and the scenes that we'd seen before. So I, I, I actually, I'm, re- I'm very fond of how they've handled that character. I, I really think it's, it was an interesting choice and I'm kind of glad the yeah. way they played it out through here. I agree. And I think you, no, and I know, I know you did too. I don't, I don't think you had an issue with it. I think it's just an interesting thing yeah. to point out that they went through the trouble of making this character um, somewhat unsympathetic and yet relatable because despite being unsympathetic at that moment in that previous that a couple episodes ago, when she's regardless of all this, that she's questioning that Howard actually being an addict and all these things. And we know she's right. And even in that moment, even if we don't necessarily love her as a person, we, f- we feel for her because she's, because she's concerned about Howard. 
And then when when Kim drops that big lie bomb on her, you know, it it still hits with the same resonance. It just it just does it in a slightly from a slightly different angle than we would have expected because they're better writers. They came up with something a little less cliche than you know a schmuck like me would have come up with. I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like when they sub. I like when they subvert our expectations and stuff. And then yes. you know, just like you know, like I'm, a, you know, I like my Billy Wilder movies, and that kind of stuff happens a lot, and that kind of thing. Right, so right. you know, keep doing that. But and when a push comes to shove, the scenes about Kim, not about Cheryl. So that's just you know, just makes it a little bit different in the way that we can kind of judge the, uh, you know, the do the calculus on how uh, her actions affect things because we don't really give a fuck if Cheryl's happy or not. Um, for whatever reason but but it's more about what you know what kim's going through and why she's doing it and how we view her based on that more so than the results right it, 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 i'm I, gonna I, i'm gonna throw in on the cheryl thing real quick just toss it in there's a really great chance that if if they were to fully write this character out with more story that we would find that there's probably many a conversation she had with Howard. So she's upset and what happened to him was, was wrong and devastating and all, all of those things. Um, but also she knows who Howard is and there's got to be a part of her that knows that if Howard hadn't been Howarding, he wouldn't be in this position. Like, I bet there's some sort of like, you know what I mean? Like some understanding. There's some. Tr- obviously, they were going through, you know, a separation, and they were having all sorts of uh, marital issues. So, um, yeah, like she she knows things about Howard we don't know. So <laughs> there's a really yeah. good chance oh, that yeah. that's that's all part of that. I think though, with like Kim Kim's motivation for me is. Primarily, I think Kim going back and doing this is just her own conscious, you know, it's just, she's got to clear it. She's just got to clear it. She's got to do the right thing. Inherently, she has fun doing the wrong thing, but the difference is that she is a, in in her core, her core value is to do the right thing. So she's, she's got to go ahead and do it. I think the phone call uh, with Saul pushed it because she got to remember what no remorse sounds like. And yeah. I think it, I think it, it really ate at her. And, and that's why she went because if he's, he doesn't have any remorse for this, like something, something has to shift, you know, something has to right the wrong. Um, I don't think it's any sort of, I'm going to be the good person. I think it's just fully realizing uh, and coming to a full circle that the only way this story is, the story is going to end is somebody has to show remorse. Yeah, and I was kind of like comparing her her return to Albuquerque to Walt's return to Albuquerque as it was going on and stuff like that. So, I mean, sure. you know, I guess pretty much pretty much the only decent thing Walt does when he comes back is just like, you know, admits to Skylar that like he was an asshole the whole time instead of doing it for the family, which was, you know, pretty much the only good thing he did other, other than leave a good tip at Denny's. So good job there. <laughs> but but uh, I'd say, you know, she definitely her, she measures up better than he does. I'd say he does more than one good thing, but we can table that for later <laughs> well rescue, rescuing jesse was yeah. his intention but he still but he still makes that decision at the end to do it but, <laughs> but, but that's not why he went back but he's still what what your previous motivation and what your motivation is in the moment still counts you still make that decision at, in the moment 
Plus, 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 throwing some bucks towards a badger and Skinny Pete gives him points in my butt to begin uh-huh. with. So whatever. And what's their faces are such assholes. Anything he does to them, I take great joy in as well. So there's that as well. Anyway, Brian. Um, Brian, I, I was just gonna say I think that what Kim does is this is classic twelve step recovery stuff. It's go make amends with the person you have wronged and. Of all the people that Kim was wronging, she can't apologize to Howard, but I think we all right. agreed when we watched the episode, the person she was stone cold, the, the maybe the worst to was Cheryl with what she said. Yeah. And, you know, there there's a saying in the recovery community that, you know, you give somebody your apology, what they do with it's up to them. You, you don't have a right to accept. You don't have a right to be upset if they don't accept it, if they don't forgive you. It's only your job to give them your honest apology and accept responsibility. Uh, and she does. And, and let's not forget, she also has to walk into the courthouse and mm-hmm. see the, the life that she had and face that and see the version of herself, the young idealistic lawyer helping the client get their clothes on and go into court. She sort of takes Dante's walk through her past life, you know, in purgatory and has to go in front of all the people that, you know, she was there with and, and give her statement and basically tell the people she worked with, like she was a piece of crap and did all this stuff. And, and one of the two most um, valuable apologies to give to the legal system, which she valued and she comes clean to them and she comes clean to Cheryl. So, I mean, I think she's doing her recovery, making amends, uh, trip. So, uh, I mean, whether it's noble or not, it's the right thing. And we can choose to say it's noble or not noble. That's up to us. But she does the only thing she can do. And so for that, I think she she gets some credit. Okay. Um, I, uh, my issue about nobility was her existence in Florida. I was never I, – I, I separated that from what she does here. Um, everything she's done – from the moment she breaks up with Jimmy on is born out of guilt. It's, 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 it, she's taken the biggest guilt trip. She's been, she's on a guilt trip for the last six years, essentially. Um, it's clear that, and as you say, um, this more than anything has been a burden for her. It's been wearing her down. She's been carrying this. Um, probably the only reason she didn't resolve this six years ago is because it would have put certain, you know, People's lives might have been at risk because of, you know, as he points out, Fring and my, all those people were there. That's why once he points out they're all gone, it's like, hey, wait a minute. They're all gone. There's no, there's no impediments anymore to her coming clean about all these things. Um, I, I'm glad you brought up the courthouse stuff because that was where I was really waiting to go for. So I'm glad yeah, that I, I love the way they did that. Um, I don't want to find, I'm not finding fault with the episode at all. If I could have had an extra two to five minutes of this episode, I almost would have liked to seen just a little bit more after she got on that elevator because mm-hmm. I, just the difficulty of that entrance. And, to, and I'm not saying we need to see the entire confession. Don't need, I just would have liked to see, either it be that DA that she was dealing with way, the idiot that way back then, that woman or, or someone else, just something. 
again, we we got it through when we see the statement that she's re- that uh, Cheryl is reading. So we we get it. I get that. Maybe I just wanted that additional awkward kind of moment, kind of thing. But again, I, I'm I'm perfectly satisfied with what they did. I just maybe that would have been a nice little ooh, just a nice little booster. I also can I add sure, sure, can sure, I sure. add one thing on here? Um, one thing that we have not mentioned is, and I think it's really important, is that yes, she went to the court. Yes, she went and she talked to Howard's wife and confessed. Um, but she did not say that she had talked to Saul. You know, if he's still alive, my ex-husband, if he's still alive, that is the one place that she did not. Uh, disclosed all she did not she could have she could have said right. yeah he but, called but that's you know? not for her to it, do and what what would it have done you know to harm her nothing not really um they might have been able to go in and get phone records from her work or whatever and track where the call came from but right. it's just it's just notable that it was very um she she made a choice to keep him in the, in the shadow still well, if she hasn't done it for the last six years, even in that phone conversation, she tells him that he should turn himself in. Mm-hmm. But that, yep. but that has to be his decision. She's not going right. to force that. She just she'll end it by saying, "I'm glad you're alive," and and hang up on him. She's not going to do something to in, in whatever put him in that position. It's it's still, it has to be him making that decision. He has to be the one who has to want to make amends or do the 12 step or whatever, however you want to phrase it. But I it. think that's, I think that that is just, it's, it's worth noting because it shows oh, absolutely her, absolutely her, her actual intention and in what she's doing. Um, I think that, that point right there because there's already some discussion of oh is she doing this like do we not see the court what she did you know after the elevator because um she's setting something up to find him and blah 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 and i think that right there that she did not say you know that she had talked to him i think that that is the keynote that no she is here on her own terms to to make her own uh, amends going forward. People are what in the last hour? People are saying that I didn't know people were saying. You bet, that. you okay. bet, man. What? You got to get on the internet. It is fast. It's no, fast. Twi- Twitter fast. is a fucking cesspool. I hate everybody on Twitter. We because everyone, everything I'm a fan of, everyone else are horrible fans of, and it just it ruins everything for me. And yet I still go on there. And then anyway, Scott, sorry, Scott, don't be bashing, don't be bashing Twitter on National Cat Day, Scott. We've, no, we've been no, through this. Yeah, oh, oh God! Oh no! 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 <laughs> No, 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 Not on National Cat Day. Mary, Mary, will be pleased that it's National Cat Day. But all these people talking about cats, and I don't see one damn cat on this damn show. That's why it's not better. Anyway, go on. You're saying, Brian? Well, no, I was just going to say, I don't think. I mean, she's she's cleaning up her house. She's not cleaning up his house. And right, right, exactly. You know, going to see these people and talk to them, whatever his deal is, she's done what she needed to do and told him to turn himself in. She didn't let him off the hook or cover for him. She may not have volunteered anything, but she told him he was basically that he was wrong and he needed to turn himself in. And she's just handling her business and doing it directly and forcefully and that's why i mean i think when when the dam breaks and the shuttle on the way home you know all this stuff that she's held in for six years now that she said i'm sorry 
she's finally breaking the seal on this, you know, hermetically yes. sealed yeah. character she's created in Florida. And finally, like the, the pressure has been let out and, and she just breaks down. Yeah. There's, there was a lot of years of, uh, holding things back that, yes. uh, clearly came out at once but there's i think there's definitely relief in that cry too uh yeah absolutely i mean it's at a certain point you know it's it goes from an ugly cry to a cleansing cry and it has been you know it's been pent up all these years it's and to go back to how when jamie first brought it up it's also worth noting because by not saying these things especially when she gives a whole statement that means there has to still be a little bit of a lie there. Slight, but y- you know they asked those questions. That, 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 that there's no way they don't ask that question. So, and she, you know, not just Cheryl, as I'm sure at the court, the fact that we don't see it is interesting, but I, I don't, not, not for some sort of conspiracy theory, just it's whatever. To me, it also shows that despite it all, to whatever degree it may, that may remain, she still cares about the person. You know, she is glad he's alive. You know, it, it's a, it's very interesting. And I, are we coming up to it yet? No, we're not up to it yet. Um, uh, it, it's interesting when we see her in the Saul timeline and how that goes, but we're not, we're not quite there yet because we're back. Uh, we're still in black and white, but we're now, this is at this point in the episode, we, we switched to Jean and this is where I went. Oh, good, because if this really was going to be an all-Kim episode, I'd have to be all nice to... I'd have to start the episode by huzzas for Dan and everything. Just kidding, Dan. So, um, Gene at this fellow's apartment, house, I forgot to see what his name was. I I apologize, who cares? Uh, Cancer guy. Am I wrong that it's that on more than one point during this when he's there, it's almost as if he wants to be caught. His actions and what he does. Like, I'm not even talking about, you know, obviously he's about to leave and then he goes upstairs to that little, you know, you know, almost a little man cave. It's overlooking everything and finds all that stuff there. Why he didn't go there in the first place. I don't know. Um, hitting the piano key, I thought was an interesting thing. It's like, you just because he's snoring, he still might be a light sleeper. Why would you do that? And then it, it was at this point I started realizing, wait a minute, that's why he's doing all of this shit. He's he, he's taking further and further risks. It's it's he's acting mm-hmm. like someone who wants to be caught. It's the kind of thing we say. I feel like if we were watching a show about a serial killer and they're leaving clues, like they always seem to want to be caught. Well, it's the only way he's going to get to see, it's the only way he gets to see Kim again. It's the only way he gets to see himself as Saul again. It's the only way for him to be who he's most comfortable being. And I, also, he's just, he's always had an issue with, he's always had an issue with just pushing things just a little bit too far. And so it's just a little bit too much of a nudge. You, You can have something clean and easy, but there's just always this little you know, there's always a Hummel figure to get. Like there's just, there's just always something there, and he can't, he can't let go of it. He just, he can't let go. Can't. And then we're in this guy's house that has all this money, you know, and it probably reminds him a lot of the home he used to have. And he sees these watches and the humidor, and I bet there's part of him that thinks like this, you know, this son of a bitch gets to have this, 
this should be what I'm allowed to have. Like, this is mine. This belongs to me. Plus, he was a hat guy. He couldn't let that go either. <laughs> he knows something about hat guys. So, yeah. Yeah, I think he's, uh, I think also it's the idea that he rationalizes in his mind, like, this guy's going to be dead soon anyway. I might as well have this stuff, yep. you know? Yeah. Like, like, why does he have all this nice stuff? He's not going to use it. And I he think really, kids, I mean, you know? he, he, in his mind and his subconscious, he can't lose. He gets away with it or he gets caught and the relief of not, you know, being on the run or being hidden anymore is over. Like, like, you know, if he makes it out, it's, you know, he can marvel at his genius intellect and got away with it again. And if not, it's all over. So, and yet I also think that by him pushing things just a little, a little further and a little further than he, sh- than we know he should, or that he even rationally would know that he should, should, um, it, that's what activates the, the thrill of it, you know, just like all the little cons and scams that he did with Kim and, and in the slipping Jimmy days. I, I can't help but also point out the uh, the overwhelmingly Captain Obvious, you know, reporting for duty here. That gee, wait, a show about a guy who's trying to get away with, but he keeps doing things, just pushing things a little further than he should. When we know he's gonna, he, oh, you're gonna get in trouble if you go that far. With oh, wait, where where have I seen that before? Oh yeah, the, the show that this uh, came, spun off from. Yeah, it's Walter White again. Um, so I, of course, if you. If- if he was trying to get caught, maybe he would. He but he also was trying to. He thought about smashing that guy's skull to get away too. So mm-hmm. I mean, it, so maybe yes. he's kind of overconfident, and because things have been going well, he's just being cocky and overconfident in a way too. I mean, maybe elements of both, but still, he was willing to, uh, you know, maybe uh, smash that guy's skull with a mayonnaise jar or whatever. Well, I, I don't. Think- well, the fun thing about him wanting to smash that guy is not a mayonnaise jar. It was a dead dog's ashes, which I thought was hilarious seeing as this whole uh, thing was supposed to originally take place with a guy breaking into the house and having a dog with him. But instead, we have a guy breaking in the house and taking a dog out with him. Oh, so that's not cute. That's that not cute. That's Caught not that. that's not where I thought you were calling back to. I thought you were going to call back to the fact this entire thing started with a with a missing dog, you know, which started the whole storyline. Lots the, of dogs. The, the supposed lot of sto- dog action. And meanwhile, yes. cats are better than all these creatures. Um, just to be On clear, International Cat Day. Yes. There's an awful lot of dog. Right. Just to be clear, I, even though I don't think I need to be, but I don't think we're saying conscience consciously wants to be caught. We're not saying he—he's not, not saying right. he's thinking. No. I want to be caught. No. <laughs> you know, it's—it's—it's no. it, it, it's more of a subconscious thing. You know, um, the urn though, and the fact that he's about to to smash it. It's a—it's an interesting thing in this episode. It's a very interesting thing in this episode. I didn't. If if we need to talk about it a little bit between yes. the moment with the urn, and then. We, because we, I'm bringing it up, I got up, then I'll have to fast forward to the moment with Marion at the end with the telephone cord until that moment where he changes his mind. But up until that point, these are the two times where we're thinking, okay, he's graduated. He is, we talked before about him taking on the characteristics. Again, we've seen that before too, uh, and you know how a certain uh, fellow from the other episode, um, the other series, has kind of influenced his actions to a certain degree. 
And we know that Walt took things into his own hands eventually. You know, well, actually, he did write in for, for a season, quite frankly, with the bicycle lock, whatever. Um, he's about to do things and take things into his own hands. He's not suggesting someone go to Belize. And by the way, Brian, I'm going to feel your pain when this show is over and there's no stupid um, backstory to the Belize thing. <laughs> I kept thinking about that. <laughs> but it's like, okay. Now, you can, one can say, oh, he was just going to try to knock out the guy with the urn, which is like, so like 70s TV show. By the way, some of the music sounded like it was out of a 70s TV show, which I really appreciated. But part of me kept thinking, eh, there's a good chance you smash a guy in the head with an urn like that. Eh, you're probably going to kill him. And he certainly looked like he was going to kill Carol Burnett at the end. <laughs> he wasn't about to, that didn't look like he was going to tie her up. <laughs> okay. What do you think about that turn? And is it, is it are are they almost trying to force the issue of making him not just not so much irredeemable, perhaps, but as unsympathetic as possible at this point? Because look, if it looks like you're about to kill Carol Burnett, no one's gonna like you for that. <laughs> well, yeah. one, that he's always. Uh... Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I was just who who was that guy that stumbled into the the place that he was there robbing anyway? I mean, like the guy that they were robbing was already laying on the floor. Who was that guy? What do you mean? That's the guy who are you talking oh. about the guy whose home that is? Yeah, I thought it was this was a different guy that was coming in the front door. No, his coat was still laying on the floor. So it looked like he was still laying there until he like looked over the ledge and realized that the guy had gotten oh. up. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, the show, his, his, his snoring suddenly stops earlier, and we realize he's waking up uh, like a moment yeah. or two earlier before that. Okay, go ahead, Jamie. I'm going to write down one that way so I can cut that out. Just... Um, did you guys notice the uh, the amount, you know, when he was taking pictures of the, the checks and the banking statements, the amount that was there is the same amount that Walt needed? And also we've got a throwback to our 737 from, uh, what was it, season two in Breaking Bad? I didn't know. Good I job, didn't, though. I didn't notice the specific number. I do know it began with the number seven, so I'm totally willing to believe it's the same exact number. It sounds like something they would do. They would probably put it there just for all the idiot lost fans who will make a bigger deal about a number than they should or something. I'm, I'm guessing. So no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a lost fan too. Everybody shut up. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> People are losing I, I thought, <laughs> I thought that, uh, I mean, we see him that if he's not caught, I mean, he, he's at the point where we're wanting him to get caught, whether you like him or hate him. If you like him, you want him to get caught because he's careening dangerously close to killing someone. And if you don't like him, you want him to get caught before he kills someone. Like he's going further and further uh, that he's willing to do violence. And, and the the way, I guess the guy in the apartment, the the Earn is menacing, but the way he gets up on Marion is uh, just—I mean, it's—it's it's absolutely threatening, intimidating, menacing, uh, and you know, not a—not something we've seen of him uh, to go that far. And 
you know, he, he's, he's at his point where I think when Kim said what she said, he's had two chances, uh, to do the right thing. And when, you know, Kim tells him to do the right thing and he doesn't want to hear it, you know, he's past that point and just heading towards a really bad end. Right. I mean, I definitely have, there's a couple of things I do want to say about the Marion scene, but I, I kind of want to wait till the end because that's, that is the final moment of the thing. It would feel weird to talk about, you know, you know, Kim and Jesse at the end of the thing. So uh, I'll, I'll get there. Um, meanwhile, so you, I, I like that you have, and, and it's just in pure, better, probably more better call Saul than Breaking Bad, certainly in pure, pure better call Saul fashion. You can toggle between this rather tense sequence that's going on within the house and, you know, with the guy suddenly being awake and what's he going to do? And he's, and of course he has to sit at the base of the stairs and so on and so forth. And then we go outside to Jeff in the cab and the cops pulling up behind him. And then when we find out that the cops, they just happen to pick that spot to stop and, you know, complain about their tacos, which at least didn't have Miracle Whip in them or something. But I'm just like going, well, you just got the worst luck. And then, and then Jeff being, becoming almost a pure comical relief at this point. When he decides to drive away, but he's so nervous, he just crashes, and then he comes crawling out. And I'm like, going, so you're just the biggest fuck up here. <laughs> just about, no reason for that to have happened, but uh, it, it's pretty amazing that it did. Um, I, I think we need to switch back to the land of color, because now we, we, we got to get to the scene with Kim showing up at Saul's. And the way they act. And the fact that you realize that this is the, the soul that we're seeing. And, and, we, and, we, and then we find out a moment later, before who she runs into outside. Um, and for Breaking Bad fans, we already recognize the guy who's going in to go see him. That's the guy that was Jesse's original partner that we saw way back in the, in the pilot of Breaking Bad. So that's where we know, oh... This moment in time is before the Winnebago stuff, but we haven't got the RV that we saw in the last episode. Okay, they, they're jumping around here. That's fine. But when you watch the way this plays out, the fact that you realize he has so... He has so gone... He, what's the word? Is it? Method acting be gone. He has just become Saul to a degree where... He seems completely disinterested while she's signing the papers. And the way he chides her for not taking the money and everything. And even how he uh, waves her off with the, you know, have a nice life, whatever. The difference here with how he acts and how we've seen him in other moments, this seems, at least to my eyes, and I'm going to say it's the way it's meant to be, this feels genuine. This is how he is right now. This doesn't feel like he's. If he, if we can make we can make a claim that he's compartmentalizing and he's high. Yeah, I think you might be saying that because you want to feel that you want to think that. There's no indication in the scene that's what's happening. This is this is the Saul Goodman we met in season two of Breaking Bad right now. I, I just thought that was very interesting. Whereas when we see him as Gene giving her the call here, you know, six years later, you know, he's. He's kind of singing a somewhat different tune, but here, 
And, and, and watching this after, you know, you know, about half an hour after we saw that other scene or 20 minutes, or whatever it is, it almost, I almost went, Oh, you know what? I agree with Kim being kind of not, not nice to you, Gene. What, what? You treated her like a piece of shit at the end here. All right. Well, have a nice life. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, all right. I'll throw, I'll throw it to you guys before we get to the, the Jesse stuff. Jamie, you're on mute. We need to, we need to hear you first. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I'm I'm just gonna say that the conversation on the phone, I, it still felt really similar to the have a nice nice life. I mean, it was a little bit more involved than that, but he just he doesn't he does not talk to her the way he used to. You know, it, it's still really cold. It's still like she's not talking to him. She's talking to somebody who's pretending to be him who's pretending to be somebody else i don't know i i felt like it was a really similar tone each time um but i i i have to say that in in his office when he did that i i felt like that was the the hardest moment that i've watched with him uh and kim throughout this right this whole story like that that hurt the worst i think it's the harshest we've seen him be to her Yes. Absolutely. Um, my only quibble with what you just said would be not when he first calls her. That comes out of him after she is she already says, freezing. You, you shouldn't yep. be calling. You should turn yep. yourself in. And when she says, I don't know what kind of life you've been living, but it can't be much, mm-hmm. considering the life we've seen that she's living – because originally she's he's basically he's literally calling to catch up, you know. I'm, again, it is yes. There's still the obvious lack of remorse, which you know whatever, which we and we we we've seen the seats for that for the last six years or whatever. Um, I'm just saying here that's the way he is. Period. There, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. It's almost well, like his defense the, mechanism kind of kicks. Yeah, in. he starts the conversation out with a little bit of like the here's a beanie baby voice. and then it it, he he quickly gets into a a defensive place which honestly is probably where he is in that office when he says have a nice life it is defensiveness okay all right yeah we can like like, you know he really didn't want to have that he really didn't want to like see her when like the divorce papers were going to get signed which is why he was stalling and stuff so you know i mean it was yeah you know just putting up a wall there and being cold and callous and acting like it wasn't bothering him and then in the in the later future black and white scene i kind of thought more it's just like he's just like totally projecting that like she's saying the things to him that she like should be saying because he's like a piece of shit but like she's not saying anything he's just going on and on like he's like she's fucking yelling at him and it's just like Mm -hmm. you know she's just like being sensible yeah Um, and she says like 17 words the whole scene i mean it's not yeah so it's definitely you know know, (laughs) there's a lot going on in both scenes it's her total lack of fighting back that pisses him off. There it is. That, that she doesn't respond. She tells him. And in a, in a weird way, I think the way I saw the two scenes was in his office with the divorce papers. He treated her the way he would treat opposing counsel when he yep. was saw. Mm-hmm. Like dismissive, you know, yep. talk down, ignore him like you're silly. And in a way, when he was talking to her at the end, it, it, it almost is like the way he would talk to Chuck 
when Chuck would try to tell him something uh, and say, you know, Jimmy, you're, you're doing wrong. It would start out as a conversation and devolve into a fight. Um, and smashed phone booth. Right. And she, but, but she didn't fight back and he wanted her to so that he could be righteous in his anger. And she didn't. So, you know, he couldn't be righteous in his anger. He just became angry. And it was particularly effective that all she gave him was, I'm happy you're alive. And that's it. And, uh, you know, the, the look on her face um, where she's so repressing all the things she wants to do and say and the things he's making her feel. I mean, it almost was like she was scared, terrified, upset, trying to, to keep control. I mean, she, she shut down almost like, you know, a person that was in the presence of an abuser. Um, yes. She completely just shuts down and all she can give him is I'm happy you're alive. And I think she is, she is happy he's alive, but she sees that the monster she saw in that office hasn't changed and doesn't see any hope for him and knows that there's no future for them to, to even talk. Well, yeah. I mean, even realistically, that wouldn't at this point because he's a fugitive anyway. There, there is that. Um, I, I don't. Hmm. I got to think about it. I, I don't. I don't know how much. I feel like I'm in partial agreement with both of you, but not completely. I, I, I just. I'm not saying that Gene's actions are warranted <laughs> because that would be, I'm not going to go down that, that rabbit hole exactly. Although now I'm feeling like the guy who used to defend Walter White, even in season five at this point. Um, yeah. I, I think he snaps into that mode because he wasn't expecting her. He wasn't expecting the things that she said to him. I mean, the, you shouldn't be calling thing as one thing. But the fact that she said that you should turn yourself in and, and everything about, and, and she, that's the whole track that she takes and, and, and how she speak when she does speak to him, what she says, that is what kind of sets him off because everything he's been living through for the last several months and what he, and what he went through was never going to be about, I'm going to turn myself in. Saul Goodman is not the guy who's ever going to turn himself in at this point. So, of course, he has to then, his, his, again, it's a different t type of defense mechanism, but much like the one that we've seen that scene in his office, but his defense mechanism here is to lash out. And, and that's why I love the fact that he actually says, why don't you turn yourself in? What's stopping you? Whatever. And uh, <laughs> she actually goes, okay, I didn't say it, but that's pretty much what she sort of attempts to do. It's just because there's probably, as she says in the conversation with Cheryl, um, since there isn't actual physical evidence of anything, it's unlikely the prosecutor is going to pursue charges against her at this point. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not really disagreeing with what you guys are saying at all. I'm just, it, 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 it kind of just, it's a very interesting mirroring of those two scenes, I think. And it's obviously it's there for, for that reason. Um, and it's agonizing to see the way he dis the how dismissive I was agonized just when I saw him just looking at it playing with his cell phone and not even paying attention the the question or not the question the thing where I don't know if I agree or not 
is the delay tactic early on with the with the ball bouncing. Because I don't get the impression I would have my my initial assumption would have been he's doing that to steal himself up for it. But then when I want then when I kind of thought about it some more, I felt like no, he's making her wait. He's making her wait in 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 that waiting room with all with all the dregs of society, whatever. You know, he's you know you know King Cock of the Walk over here in his little ridiculous office, and and the fact that keep in mind if she's presenting him with divorce papers now, and this is this is how long it took for that to happen, because think of how much time passed between this moment and when she walked out on him. So this is years later, which is a which is kind of an interesting. Uh, thing to note as well, but not unheard of. I, I know from almost firsthand experience. Sometimes it can take years to finally serve divorce papers. Um, you know, with separations and everything else in between, of course. Um, so I, I think he, my, my opinion was he was kind of making her stew out there. So he was already being kind of cruel to her to a certain degree before she even walked into his office. That's that's the kind of way the impression I got from it. He was dismissive, and I mean, I even thought it was dismissive as hell that he had Francesca telling her what to do with the paperwork. Like, like you know, him and her couldn't sort it out, and like she wouldn't know where to sign on a legal document. I mean, he had his right. assistant basically come in and and help and quote unquote help her with the documents. I mean, it was dismissive. He he treated her in, in a, as an inferior, as not worth his time. Um, and, and I, I agree with your assessment. Initially, I thought he's trying to build up the courage to do this, but we see when we actually get the goods on the scene, um, she wasn't looking for a battle and he was just looking to, to inflict harm. Like he was looking to be mean and cruel and intentional and he was, and I think there's a great moment where you can see he's not looking at her and she almost starts to say something and she just says, it's not worth it. And it's like, like the man I knew is gone. She sees he's gone and just stops and, you know, walks outside, uh, into the scene with Jesse, but rather than just have the car. And I think that's why later in the phone call, like she doesn't have anything else to say. Like after that moment, there's not much left to say when she sees he hasn't changed at all. What's the point of, of having a conversation with him? Right. Also, when and and just to put a an additional period on that, so it makes it more of an ellipse, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it, it once he does the have a nice have a nice life thing, and it and it's not like that great that great thing from. From Cheers, Dan. It's it's a totally totally different connotation in this scene. Um, for me, yes, that because that that made me sad. Um, one of my favorite sad moments in TV history. Um, for me, that 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 makes everything that Kim says to him warranted for me. It's like, okay, you can't be the way you are now. You can't you can't just call her out of the blue after six years. Hey, how you doing? I just want to catch up. Whatever. After how you dismissed her in such a crucial point, th- that in that fashion, no, you don't get to do that. 
and 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 that I I just love that 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 we I have to wait and see it later, and then it makes me rethink, and almost made me want to re. If I had time, if we we waited a day, I probably would have rewound back and watched it all over again, and just to to have experienced it in a different fashion. Um, I, I just love the it's. I love when they do things in in an episode where okay, oh now I understand. Oh now it makes so much more sense here. Um, th- there was one silly thing I wanted to mention that we kind of I, I neglected to point, to say before, but before we get to Jesse, um, with her crying scene. Oh, oh, and by the way, as always, you know, shout out to Ray Seahorn being you know amazing, and I, I look forward to her getting nominated next year as well as this year because this these episodes will qualify for next year's Emmys. Um, you know, my favorite thing in that scene was. It, it wasn't, you know, just, you know, the, the, the way the shots were taken in, in, in the, in the, in the, in the shuttle bus or, or, or her crying or, or how it gets louder and how, you know, whatever. It's the disembodied hand yes. that comforts her. And we never yep. see who it's attached to. I love that because it's us. It's, it's a stand in for the audience. They don't show the person. I, I thought, Wow, that's a really interesting, smart choice there. I'm sure. I mean, it's a it's a Vince Gilligan choice. I that was my first. Just that one little moment there. I was like, oh, I really like that. I I really like that. I can imagine if it's an older hand, you know, it's it's a motherly. Don't know. Don't have to see it. We'll never see it. I I I really thought that was something special. But it's giving her just a little bit of humor. That it was fuel. (laughs) (laughs) He's there for. Yes. Brian, Brian, you're Sorry to cut something? you off, Brian. No, no, it's fine. I, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that it's her link back to humanity that that she's been disembodied from any sort of comfort or humanity, and like you say, it's it's the hand of the universe of the audience reconnecting her with what she's been missing. Excellent. So let me let me just bounce back because we can't not talk about the Jesse scene because it's Jesse. Um, first of all, I'm going to say this that um, I thought Aaron Paul uh, was actually a bit more convincing as the younger Jesse here than he was in the RV. Again, feels a little mean to beat up on a guy who's 43 years old and they didn't do anything to kind of you know CGI to make him look younger or whatever. And we know that his voice is obviously for some reason has changed. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a lot of cigarettes. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I felt, okay, he's, he's getting Jesse more here than he did in, uh, again, than he did in the previous episode. Maybe having Vince there <laughs> kind of brought it out of him. Um, but I, I, first of all, it was just an amazing uh, thing to see these two universes cross in such a unique way, having two characters that for the first several seasons of the show, we thought would have no business ever interacting. And it was like, okay. Yeah, okay, Brian. Sure. I want to say, and we talk about mirroring. I want to say. The shot, the way they revealed Jesse is the same way they revealed Walt when Skylar was at the table. That Jesse's hidden behind the pillar. The camera uh... moves. The camera moves to Kim. And we see Jesse standing there. And, you know, it's Kim's return to Albuquerque and we see Jesse in, in a mirror of the shot with uh, 
with uh, Walt and Skylar. And if I'm not mistaken, Gilligan directed uh, Felina also, didn't he? Didn't he direct that? I believe he did. So I think so. So basically, he's just using his old tricks again. Ah, hack. <laughs> <laughs> fucking be a piece of shit, Vince Gilligan. <laughs> <laughs> fucking you know, Brett Ratner of uh, TV direction there. <laughs> wow. Just made a Brett Ratner reference. I'm so, I'm, I'm so disgusted and proud of myself. Um, by the way, um, uh, I, I know Dan. I know you visited her a number of times, but you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's a, something of a rarity for it to be pouring rain in Albuquerque, just because I would assume that. And this, and oh, plus yeah. the way, and plus the way Jesse talks about it is is just perfect. I just love that. I have that information. Give me a second. I was going to look it up, but then I got distracted. So let me take a look. You guys if you would get off Huel's uh, IMDb page, you might be able to look that <laughs> no, up. The prob- no, the problem is he's on Huel's OnlyFans page. So that's the problem. Yeah, uh, he's, he's teaching me how to pickpocket. <laughs> when I say pickpocket, I yeah, mean that the worst possible way. We Whatever know. you're thinking, it's the worst version of that. Yeah, pocket rocket, we get it. Okay, so... Um, uh, let me just. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna nip something in the bud before anyone, because it's going to irritate me that I'm gonna. I'm, I know people are gonna be saying this. I'm gonna tell everybody out there before they start to go down this road, because especially considering her influence on creating the creation of the Saul Goodman character, which I do agree with. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast previously. But if anyone starts to go, oh, her her somewhat endorsement of Saul here to Jesse is what helps lead to Jesse. It's like, no, no, no. Stop yourself. That's a stretch. His buddy just went to him. He would know from that. Not he's just asking her, and it's a great little moment because of how she re- how she responds to him. But do not take the step where, oh, if not for her, no, 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 no. His buddy's already there. This is already happening. He, you know, he, he's basically getting a second opinion after the fact at this point. So I, I like that they did that, but there was that moment I, I kept thinking, oh, there's going to be people who, again, I love Kim, but let's don't, don't, don't put it on a, if, if not for Kim, you know, although you could say if you blame, if you, if a lot of it, you're crediting Saul with in Breaking Bad now. And since she had so much to do with the creation of Saul, then it comes to Kim. But it's like, okay, we got to stop now. Let's just stop. <laughs> Well, and I think we see a waiting room that's already jam-packed full of people that that his name's out there. And the stuff Jesse's into and the people Jesse's with, Jesse's smart enough that if if he was crappy, Jesse wouldn't have used him. I mean, Jesse got to see the results of what he did. Yeah, his buddies literally goes to him right here. What's going to happen over the next course is probably he's going to get him off, you know, like that. And that's going to be why he wants to go to him in the future. Not, you know, what some random blonde woman says in, you know, on on that, on that weird rainy day in Albuquerque. Again, I I love the scene. I just want to make sure, I just want to put it out there. It's like, no, 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 no. This, this isn't a Forrest Gump thing here. You know, Kim, Kim does, Kim isn't responsible for every single thing in the Vince verse. No, but, but, but just my thoughts on it. And then I know Jamie has, has some thoughts. I can see her fixing her hair to go in like a, like a boss. So, um, the, uh, the, the, the Aaron Paul in this, I totally agree with you. Like, like I bought this more as Jesse than, than the previous version. I love this exchange because it's very realistic. It's, it's not, 
it, it tells it hints at the future to come in a really good way. And I love that we finally get it, that we get one final callback to her walking outside and smoking a cigarette. Yes. And yes. and whereas in the past she's always walked outside and smoked a cigarette, it's like to relax, to you know, to celebrate the end of a day or that that she walks outside and smokes a cigarette and apropos it's raining and and you know, it, 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 I thought it's a great callback to see Kim smoke a final cigarette. Uh, so I loved it. Yeah. That kind of goes along Albuquerque. with what I was going to yeah. say. Go for it. Rain. Rain total. Yeah. Al- Albuquerque averages 24 days of uh, rain a year with only nine inches uh, cumulative rain. So it definitely isn't common to have it rain uh, at that uh, that level that it, we were seeing there. So, But the time of year that uh, it, was, it was happening is kind of the later part of the monsoon season. So it yeah. would make sense for it to happen then. Yeah. So it was, you know in fact, bananas. We can confirm. Also, the only thing rarer than See. apparently the only thing rarer than rain in Albuquerque is actually hearing the words "only nine inches" strung together like that. Anyway, thank you, everybody. everybody good night, everybody. Jamie, go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a thing. So <laughs> all this nine-inch talk. Okay, so with Kim, with the cigarette, you were talking about this. There was two different things in this episode that really made me really feel the separation that is like cemented now between her and Jimmy is her smoking by herself. Yes. But also her brushing her teeth by herself that we got at the beginning of the episode. We've seen it so many times with her and Jimmy standing next to her. So this time we got to see her brushing her teeth herself at the sink and then walking out and lighting that cigarette. But the great thing was, is she wasn't going out and lighting the cigarette by herself that we would often see her share. Um, She wasn't sharing it with Jim, you know, with Jimmy, but now we have, you know, now we have Jesse walking in and it's a great, like passing the torch of the story over. Um, That's, kind of how it felt to me like handing it off and then she like runs off into the rain it was very old hollywood and i loved it i you might have said one of my favorite things in this entire podcast jamie which i was not expecting to come from you so i'm very happy to hear that passing (laughs) passing the no that is i think that is a fucking brilliant observation I, i defy any other podcast to come up with one like that passing the torch from her to jesse the co-star to the next co-star, the next, that's very nicely done. Very nicely done. I hate you. Good job, dummy. (laughs) 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 Oh man. Oh man. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. Um, Look, we, we, we can continue talking. We're, we're going to talk about Kim a little bit more to, uh, towards uh, at, at the end of all this, but I, I want to bounce back to the Gene the storyline and finish that up, including, uh, although we did talk a lot about the Marion stuff already, but we want to get there. Um, I, I thought it was very interesting. That after we've seen all what we've, what we've watched for the last 10, 15 minutes of this episode between um, the... What do we call it? The... The Florida timeline, Kim in black and white, to the 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 Saul Kim, to back to Gene again, and now we see that Gene had to take a bus, and I kept thinking, you know what's not going to happen on that bus? Pretty sure he's not going to be crying. 
<laughs> you know, I just, I just think we're seeing we, we go from her on a bus to him on a bus, but he, he's not going to be all emotional about it. I love the fact that when he gets home, that even to this day, he's still doing the magical incantation thing to make a phone ring. That's been his thing. We've seen that before. I, and it actually, once again, it actually works when it turns out that Jeff is calling his dad from the police station. So, uh, I, I really enjoy that conversation and the fact that, and, and, and Brian, well, if, if you want to speak to this later, it's up to you, Brian. I don't, I don't know. The fact that, that Gene is still acting with a certain level of paranoia, believing that a call from a police station could in any way be over, not just overheard, but be tapped, be taped or whatever, which I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to do. I'm pretty sure that's how that's supposed to work. Well, they can uh, if it's not your lawyer, and uh, but most of them, the like sort of the outgoing line isn't, but it can be. Okay, he's All just right. being extra cautious. Now they're not supposed to record attorney-client conversations, but he's some right. jails in my state still do, and we Jeez. had an issue with that in a jail last year. Uh, that almost resulted in some major litigation. An office I supervise was recorded, the attorney conversations with clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's not paranoid to think that, but you do see an insight that his legal mind for, you know, trying to navigate sticky situations, you know, is, is still right there on callback. Gotcha. Okay. Excellent. So he then then Gene tur- turns to call Marion, and I think we all noticed towards the end of that phone conversation. And I think we have been anticipating Marion was going to get involved in all this. That she wasn't just going to be just the kindly, yeah. l- l- you know, mom in the mo- motor scooter chair thing, whatever. That there was going to be you don't you don't bring Cal Burnett in just for that is the way I looked at it, because she seemed suspicious at the end of it, and so. Let's switch to him. Oh, so an- another time of someone driving in a car and singing. You know, it goes all, it goes all the way back to Walt singing Horse With No Name to back when we saw Jimmy doing Smoke on the Water. And now he's gone from the 70s to the 80s with the tide is high. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, not the best Blondie song, but one of the last ones. She, they did it on Solid Gold. I remember that. So... <laughs> And he he shows up there, and and you know that this is not going to go well from the moment he gets there. And apparently, Marion has figured out how to find things other than uh, cat videos. <laughs> International <laughs> although, cat day. Although, yes, there you go. Although, although I do enjoy the deliberate silliness of <laughs> of dropping like a a, a long gone search engine like Ask Jeeves. In the conversation. Yeah, that was like, great. I was like, I don't know what's funnier, saying ask Jeeves or something current like Bing that nobody uses now. <laughs> but um, there's that lovely touch, which actually, I, if I'm not mistaken, harkens back to the very first time we met Gene, all the way back in the very first episode of Better Call Saul. I Correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't think I am because I watched it like a week ago. Um, in that very first time we meet Gene, it's all in black and white until the moment he puts on the Saul commercials and we get that little bit of color. And they do it again here. It's reflected in his glasses, and suddenly mm-hmm. it's that little bit of color. I mean, 
it's not subtle, but it works so nicely. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost to him what Saul Goodman represents. You know, that's why I was almost surprised that that clothing on that rack, that there wasn't just a, a slight, you know, they didn't call in like Zack Snyder's colorist and just make some muted colors there or something. <laughs> Brett Ratner, Zack Snyder, what's wrong with this podcast? Um, anyway, this is the scene that we were talking about before. Uh, so I, I'd rather anything we haven't already mentioned. And I think the one thing we haven't mentioned, other than her, I love her saying there never was a nippy, <laughs> was that between him having the urn, what looked like he was going to do that guy until he fell back asleep, and then the way he's menacingly approaching her with the cord here, it's that he does relent. Which... And I, if if anything, it shows, okay, even though you were pretty much primed to murder somebody, there is still something there. There's still something there. And I think it's when she says, I trusted you, is is when he stops. So so and and then what happened everything with the life alert. Oh, I, I and I love using life alert for that. That was like mm, oh, so smart. So fucking smart there. So it's I'm just curious about, you know, our thoughts or opinions on the fact that, okay, there's still, there's still something there, which is interesting because Saul Goodman rarely had those moments. Although I, I always contend, eh, there's a little bit, you know, there's like once or twice, he was, he was, he was certainly more human than Walt was at a certain point. So I, I want just our opinions on just how that went. If there's anything that we haven't talked about before, like that one moment where he he does change his mind. If Jamie, if you'd like to go first, feel free. Well, I would like to say that one thing that we have seen with Saul since the beginning, um, even all the way back into being Jimmy, is that he has a knack for manipulating the elderly. Um, but he also has a soft spot for the elderly. So it's like he manipulates them, but he has a limit, right? Like he always has a limit. Um, we see it twice, you know, like you were saying, where he, he almost pushes past that last barrier. And he, he almost does the one thing he has not done himself. You know, he's been a part of a lot of uh, high-level criminal action. He's, he's done a lot of the crimes himself, um, but we have not seen him physically... Uh, attack slash kill somebody. Uh, he he's about to break into that. But when she stopped and she said, "I I trusted you." How long has it been since somebody trusted him? And I think that just that that hit something enough for him to take a step back and run. Well, there was one person that trusted him, and that was Cinnabon Guard Jerry. Kurgish, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, but I think he just trusted him for the Cinnabons, but, uh, but I, I, I do think there is something about the elderly that, that he does have a soft spot for. And although he, he fleeces them, he still somewhat is weirdly protective of, of them and, and, and was in that litigation and, you know, took all the time. But I think what, uh, I think maybe what pauses him about her is that not only did he not successfully manipulate him is that in a way she bested him 
uh, that that he did a Walter White and got too smart for his own good. And when he wanted to show off how much he knew about Bale, mentioned the difference between Albuquerque yep. Bale and Nebraska Bale. And so, you know, and he also taught her how to look stuff up on the computer. Because remember when Jeffy comes home, he taught her how to mm-hmm. look up cat videos. So he undid himself by teaching her that and saying too much. And when she revealed it, something that that I thought was great in this scene was that her scene with him was not her trying to hide it or lie. That once he picked up the the computer, like she pretty much told him the truth. She didn't bullshit him. She didn't say like, oh, well, you know, I don't think that's you. She said, you know, I think that's you that you know you're you're him and when the you know life alert person calls she doesn't say no i everything's fine she says no he's here she stands up to him and she directly confronts him and tells him the truth uh in a way that that not many people he's tried to manipulate do and i think that pauses him uh, so those two things combined together, I think, sort of stop him in his tracks, and and he can't he can't finish killing her. And, I mean, in a weird way, it's almost like maybe there's some respect there for her that that there wouldn't be oh, for for an, for another Mark. Absolutely, you. Um, although I don't know, I I don't know if he actually flees the elderly back way back when. I didn't think he had, but uh, he did. He, but he did. He did some fucked up things, regardless, because of what happened there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, absolutely. Um, question beyond this, and if and obviously, if anyone else has anything more beyond what I'm going to ask, feel free before we start to wrap things up here. Um, my question about because that's the the end of the episode is now he's on the run. You know, he's, he's back to being, you know, uber fugitive once again. Um, and before it might have been more in his mind, but no, no, it's not. No, they're, 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 they're out to get you now. Um, here's my question. So Kim's life in Florida that we talked about for a good chunk of this podcast earlier, and we're looking at it as her own inner mind, uh, that she's, uh, paying penance. This is, this is the life she's chosen. This almost deliberately you know, dull, not, you know, not, not the life that Kim, Kim Wexler really should be living, but it's the life that she deserves to be living because of what she did. My question is this, does her coming back to Albuquerque and basically coming clean about everything and even going, and especially, and even the major, you know, emotional, uh, uh, conscience weight of what she said and did to Cheryl that now having been uh, dealt with when she goes to see her, I'm not saying it absolves her exactly, but does she really? Ha- does she? Th- should she really feel that she has to therefore live the rest of her life the way she's been living the last whatever number of years there in 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 Florida, in that you know working at Palm Spring Waterworks and and so on? Does that she? Or does she, or is she? Will she be able to move away from that? And maybe, maybe, maybe she can't bring her. Still cannot bring herself to practice law again. Although part of me kept thinking what she would see at the courthouse might help reignite that or something. If she's, but maybe she wouldn't be allowed to. Actually, I guess I, I'm not sure about that. I hadn't really thought about that. Forget it. But do, do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? Does she? Yeah. Does she? Does she deserve? Does should she, should she feel that she 
has to live the rest of her life this way is, is what I'm wondering. No, but it won't be tomorrow or the next day. But I think, I think she's let that out. And depending on what happens, she'll find a way back to a more suitable life. But just like an addict, I think she's always going to be hyper vigilant now about the people she's around, about her triggers for wanting to push things too far. And so she probably will live a more repressed life than than she should. But I don't think she will push herself inside as much as the character we see. Do you think her crying there was like her first time, like actually like processing all that shit from back in the day? I think Likely. it was, I think it was her first time letting it out in years. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you a question since we were talking about Cheryl, uh, to kind of go back to what we were talking about, how she said, you know, my ex-husband, if he's still alive, she did say to Cheryl that she probably wouldn't be convicted because there was no witness except for her ex-husband. So he is on the run. He gets caught. This is a game changer for Kim's legal issues. Maybe, but um, the the problem is all the other evidence is gone after all this time. Right. And, and you know, speaking of Felina, what, what does Cheryl say? Uh, ask about the body, and Kim says they'll never find it. So they'll we have sort of it. a callback to, you know, Hank and Gummy's bodies. And unlike right. in, unlike Walt, Kim doesn't know where those bodies ended yeah, up. And the people that do are now dead. So, you know, the people who knew where those bodies were put, other than the random dipshit who, who buried them and who knows if he's dead or gone the henchman in the in the bottom of the super lab but Gus is dead Mike's dead you know nobody knows where Howard's body is so um but I I think that uh the chance of her I would say the chance of her being convicted or tried keep in mind too six years later it may be a new DA um any witness you'd have probably is gone or you couldn't locate but there's a very real chance she probably never would get her law license back that that yeah. you know something like that would be referred to the bar association and she'd never she'd probably never be allowed to practice law again she could still enter a life pursuit that may not be specifically practicing law but you could still advocate and do things for on people's behalf even if it's not as a lawyer Ab- i mean we, I, I know you know that i'm just saying and as opposed to writing product descriptions for for sprinklers I just, she could I, go I don't, be I don't like an office that. manager at like a. She could go be the office manager for legal aid and just not go to court with people. Right, right. Which I can totally what? see happening, especially in a place like Florida. I, yeah. I didn't. I did enjoy watching Kim like, uh, re, you know, rewording her typing in about the sprinkler like inane stuff, just because like you know it was just like a little bit of the old Kim trying to yeah. poke through there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought that, I thought that was a nice little call back there. That's why I was, when I was thinking about the, from writing briefs is exactly what I was thinking of the way, you know, what we had seen her do in the past. Um, and, and I will say, I thought you pointed this out earlier, Scott, that, that you did, you do see that even in that sort of mundane job that she's really good at 
whatever she puts her mind to that she knows the lingo. She actually goes out on the, I love the scene out on the factory floor mm-hmm. where it's, it's just sort of like the phone booth scene where you barely hear their voices, but the sound of machinery is just overwhelmingly loud, uh, that, that she does her research. I mean, all her talents are at use at a crappy, crappy, boring right. job. Um, She's it, just good at whatever she wants to do. Right. It, it should be pointed out that she's some, if nothing else, she's someone in this in this big big giant office. You know, at at, um, at this company, she's got her own office. She's not one of the yeah. people, all the people out there. They all they're all in pods, and you know, can see over each other's desk. You know, the, you know, they're more the office drone types. Or you know, I remember being that myself. The people who get their own offices, that's that, that's that's a step up. You yeah. Know, so she she so she's come she she's I mean she's not in charge of the company but she's she's got some standing there you know but but she's but she's relatable enough that she's willing to use a stupid troll pen to sign someone's birthday card right <laughs> right the troll pen. did did you want her to walk out and and you and see Michael Chiklis in one of the cubicles yes I did uh, you know, you know, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have um excellent. I had a friend that just uh I had a friend that just sent me a a screenshot that I just thought you guys would like but it is uh Kim standing at the airport and next to her it's like the exact same you line the shot up to when she's standing outside of Saul's office and Jesse's in the background but instead of Jesse in the background since she's at the airport it's the Alaska terminal The thing I was about to say I'm glad you brought that up I was wondering there was that split second where I wasn't, I didn't realize it was like the different airlines when I saw the word Alaska. And I was going, wait a minute. How does she know Jesse went to Alaska? How is she like, <laughs> oh no, it's a different, oh, oh, someone doesn't go to airports very often. She just stood by a sign. <laughs> but then I got I, confused. I thought that was cool. They did that though. And then oh. you see Jesse. It's like a, it's a, it's an inside joke. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's yeah. an excellent joke. But I, I, I did get confused by one thing, and only because I, I caught a, a little bit of the Talking Saul special that came on after, and they mentioned the, the filming the scene where she's crying in the, uh, in the shuttle bus, whatever. Because um, they meant, I mean, I, I just, in fact, I already, I, this is stupid as I'm saying it, I realize it because basically they're filming everything in New Mexico to begin with. They're not going to another state for anything. I don't know why. In fact, now that I realize it, that I, I, don't, I shouldn't have even started this conversation. But whatever. I got confused because they mentioned when they were filming, you know, in the New Mexico, in the Albuquerque airport, and, you know, the crying scene, whatever. And I was going, but wait a minute. Isn't she in Florida already at this point? Isn't it? And then I realized, no, they didn't film it in Florida. <laughs> it's just, they're just <laughs> pretending. I know I shouldn't have brought it up. All right, another cut to make later. No, I'm just kidding. It'll stay. It'll stay. That's probably why she's crying because she has to go back to Florida. Well, yeah. Oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> never, never again. Never again. Anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I know what he's talking about. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be for a future podcast. That'll be a great podcast. Um, I'm gonna. I'm really gonna. I'm gonna start doing the wrapping up here. Obviously, if anything else comes up, feel free to say it in in, in the waning minutes. I just. I, I see. I kind of want to get this one uh, in the can, so to speak. <laughs> That's what she said. The next week is when will be our final Better Call Saul podcast because it'll be the final Better Call Saul episode. <laughs> I'm like. I'm like Kim on a bus now. <laughs> Where's my disembodied hand? 
and the episode, as I mentioned last week, it's so beautifully titled Saul Gone. <laughs> It'll, written and directed by Peter Gold. Where it's going to be extra long. So we uh, will be waiting to see what they're going to do here as far as uh, he's on the run. Um, I, I'm wondering if the Jesse moment we got here means that's it for Jesse, but we might still, I believe we're still going to get a Walter White moment. Part of me wants to go, oh, hey, Vince, Pete, annoy the entire universe have him die at the end and him and Walt in hell together. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We're cross over with the Sandman series and we see Gwendolyn Christie there or something. <laughs> I just watched half that series. Not bad, not bad, not bad. Really good. Yeah. That that fifth episode, the Dino one. Oof. Oh. Oof. Yeah. That that's that's almost podcast worthy. Anyway, we will I believe we all will be back uh next week to talk about the final episode. We have not determined when we will be recording that podcast due to someone's vacation plans. It might be later that week. That might be what we do. It's okay. The season's over. You know, if you guys, you know, want to wait, get, get the podcast later in the week, then it'll be taking that much longer to savor the experience. that was better call Saul. I also anticipate other than talking about that finale. Now that the series will be over, we can weigh in on our final opinion on the whole silly Better Call Saul versus Breaking Bad debate. And I've, I think I'm one of the folks, I think I think Brian, I, th- I, think maybe, I think all four of us perhaps, or at least three of us, I don't know, have said, need to wait till we see how it ends <laughs> before we say anything like that. I'll already tell you how I feel about it, but that. Spoiler. Okay. So if you enjoyed this podcast, guess what? You'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Series TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page and join the conversation about shows like Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and so many others. Where can you find us? You obviously found us already, but you can find us in the future at places like Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and so on. But better still, just go to stvdpodcast.podbean.com where you can find, ooh, nice round number, all 360. Hmm, 360. I'm going to do a 360 here of our podcast can be found there. Are we on Instagram? Yes. Although I've seen trolls who have more followers than we do. Uh, (laughs) Russian bots have more followers than we do. Our Instagram handle there is serious TV drama as one word. You can also follow us on Twitter. I have more followers than us on Twitter. That's sad. Follow us on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in Series TV Drama Podcast. I know it's usually where I end, but I'm going to throw out our email address just for the hell of it. Maybe Gott wants to send an email to respond to our cracks about Florida. Sorry, Gott, but it sucks. Uh, our email is at... No, it's not at. It's just STVD Podcast at <laughs> Gmail. See, that's why I'm, I'm not used to giving out your email address. STVD Podcast... Are you, are, are you on some of that Florida crack right now? Is that the problem? <laughs> well, I got a pacifier. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, I, listen, you. Listen, know, listen. If you can't, if you can't find us, just ask Jeeves. You know, I, I just love the idea that you know, if I if I saw a teenager come into my store buying a pacifier, I'd call the police. <laughs> Wait, what? 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 <laughs> and where did all that crack go? <laughs> I had to stop myself. I was about to make a a joke that would have been offensive. (laughs) Anyway, 
So, yeah. Uh, hey, look at us. We actually were able to pull off a podcast the same night that it aired. Amazing. Um, so hopefully that will give people that much more to enjoy during the day on Tuesday as opposed to waiting until Wednesday. So I wanted to thank you guys for everyone to, who was able to make themselves available. Um, so Jamie, Brian, Dan, thank you to all you guys. Um, I'm going to say goodnight, but as you guys say goodbye, again, if there's any other point you want to throw in, if you got cut off, I hear I can hear the disembodied voice trying to break through like a, like a ghost from another region there. Uh, feel free to make your final comments as well. I don't care. Go ahead. I'll go first. I just I, We still don't know how Saul ends up getting uh, Joe DeRose's uh, little black book of criminal stuff, um, which this we'll probably true. never find out, apparently. Not that it really matters, but just something that I noticed. So uh, thanks for podcasting uh, with this co-host tonight. Thanks for hosting, Scott. Uh, happy International Cat Day. <laughs> Meow! Oh, God. I'll uh, <laughs> end by saying uh, thank you all uh and I just want to do a brief tribute. Uh, the My mentor and the man who gave me my first job in criminal defense, who was like uh, the most important figure in the law to me, passed away today. Uh, his stepson and I have been texting all evening, and he's been sending me you know, his reflections on me, and it's been very nice. Uh, I am the lawyer I am. And partly the person I am for uh, all the guidance uh, that Bill gave me. Uh, we, you know, spent a lot of time together, talked a lot about the law. He encouraged me, uh, told me I was good at it, and uh, let me try cases and help me uh, get better at it. Um, and I got to tell him he, he became ill several years ago. And had trouble speaking, but before he became ill, I was able to tell him how much he meant to me, and he was able to tell me how proud he was of me. And uh, you know, he he's been gone for a little while without being gone, but his actual physical form ceased to exist today. Um, and so, I just want to dedicate this to you, Bill. Um, you were one of a kind, and I love you, buddy. Mm-hmm.